You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Okay, listeners, uh, welcome to the Renegade Economist radio show. You will uh, be well aware that uh, 10 months ago I moved up to Drummond and uh, was uh, very excited to see uh, local democratic actions uh, underway in terms of uh, one of the nearby towns, Kyneton, has a uh, population of about 7,000 people. Fantastic annual show, the Kyneton uh, show is uh, just a, a real uh, presentation of what's going on in the farming world and uh, I felt a lot of uh, passion that connecting to the land and, and to the animals through that uh, that uh, show and uh, one of the big concerns in the area is of course uh, something that we have talked about on the show before and everyone's seeing it in their community and uh, that's the good old privatisation mantra and the big issue in Kyneton is the uh, proposed sell-off of the old Kyneton Primary School. So this week we're joined by Peter Henderson. He's from the Kyneton Town Square Reference Group. These are uh, passionate citizens trying to defend their public land. So, Peter, uh, welcome to the show and uh, give us a bit of background on uh, why this has really fired up so many people in the community. I went on a cold uh, Thursday night uh, recently and there was uh, 80-odd people in the town hall there. I was surprised. I thought they'd be usually the trusty 12, but uh, you've got a lot of support behind this campaign. We do. We do have a lot of support. The community are well aware approximately 12 months ago that the school uh, was relocating to their brand new building, which is fantastic. But the state government has now got a school that's surplus to the requirements. The Tyneton Town Square Reference Group is a group of community-minded organisations that have all come together to ensure that the school is not sold off and is not given away to development and shops and car parks we want this for community use totally and we want to preserve the heritage of a 165-year-old bluestone building, the magnificent trees and the open space. The community groups that are involved at the Kyneton Community Learning Centre, U3A, the Kyneton Lions Club, the Horticultural Society, the Senior Citizens, the CWA, a lot of like-minded organisations who just want to retain this for the benefit of the community for generations to come. And why is it such a big issue? What makes this uh, uh, so important to the town? So, well, the state government and the local council have a consultation process in train for the last couple of months, which they are asking the community what they'd want. But I think in the background, there, there, there was an option on the board at some stage that the whole site could be sold off and developed uh, for $20 million on some such figure. Now, we don't want that to happen. This is right in the centre of town. It's a community should have it for community use. Um, there, there would have to be some sort of a commercial operation to, to pay the bills, so we're all aware of that, but that could be a socially responsible 
community involvement and by and large the the commercial section of it would then assist in the payment or the overheads or the, the cost to run the the facility and then the organizations and the community groups would be able to uh, meet or, or use the facility as they see fit. Mm, and, and the fact that it is in the centre of town, there's no real town square there, so it's a strategic location. And uh, there have been rumours of uh, demolitions on site before the sale. Uh, what are you hearing through government channels uh, in terms of their decision-making process? The front section of the school, in, in my opinion, would was never going to be demolished. That's a 165-year-old magnificent bluestone building, but there was definitely an order uh, linked to to the to the new school, which would demolish the back part of the, the school, which is a 30-year-old brick building in very very good condition. But the demolition of that would make way for we we thought, um, commercial uh, applications or a possible sell-off. The Town Square Reference Group was very, very vocal, and we think that we did a a very good job in in stopping that demolition of the back part of the school. Now, we want to retain the whole school as it is for community use. Mm. Now, in terms of uh, past experiences of privatisation, I know that the old hospital site uh, was one such privatisation that's gone wrong for the town. That is a prime example of where it absolutely has gone wrong. Another magnificent bluestone building that has just been left to rot. Everyone has got it in their back of the mind, the whole of the community. And when we're talking about Kyneton, we're not just talking about the Kyneton Township. We're looking at the whole of the Kyneton District. This could be an asset for the whole district. And we do not want the same thing to happen to this school as happened to the hospital. That mm. is, is just a disaster. Yeah, listeners, you could imagine some sort of 1880s type building with big verandas, uh, all boarded up on top of a hill, overlooks a valley, the river, spectacular views there, and the developer just has boarded it up and is sitting on it, uh, waiting, uh, twiddling his thumbs as the land value goes up over time. And uh, how long ago did that old site get sold? I'm not exactly sure of the date, but I think it would be around eight or ten years ago. I could be wrong on that, but it just seems like it's been going on and on and on for for years. Uh, But it's still very fresh in the minds of all the community uh, at what we don't want to happen again. And if you thought about it in terms of uh, real estate strategies, if they've held it for some eight to ten years and here we are, you know, virtually at the crescendo of the property bubble and there's no suggestion that it's on the market uh, being prepared in any way for that, then that site could well lay dormant for another decade waiting for the next uh, peak in the real estate market to continue. It, it actually could. Uh, the, the property values... It's better than money in the bank. Uh, So a developer can sit on that until the council back down or the state government back down and they're still making money Mm. on values of the town. The town is growing by the 
second. People love to move out of the city into a fantastic country area. Kyneton has many fantastic restaurants, cafes, um, historical sites that everyone can visit, and it's only an hour from Melbourne. Yeah, so uh, with this development, it must be hard to keep the the nature of uh, this farming community alive and well. And, you know, I'm impressed that there's uh, no Subway, no McDonald's, no KFC sort of thing in town. But, uh, yeah, who knows what could happen if this uh, big site in the centre of town was sold off and how that could change the, the rustic nature of the community. It would definitely change the whole structure of the town and the district. And we don't want that to happen. We want this for community use. And for the community benefit, what we have now is, uh, I'm also in the secretary of the Cotton Lions Club. Cotton Lions Club has been in this in this town for 63 years. We've never had uh, a home that we could call or, or an area. We, we just go from meeting room to meeting room. We've lost a lot of history with all the plaques and the information that, that should be stored. There's... A multitude of organisations are in the same boat and, and what's happening now is they're meeting in people's houses, they're meeting in different meeting areas around the, the Shire, but we think that having all of the organisations meeting in one location would give a sense of belonging, Would they would, they would all interact together and they would all mingle, there would be just that, that sense that this is our area, this is our town, we're not going to get kicked out of this location and everyone is extremely happy. Listeners, we're talking to Peter Henderson. He's on the Kyneton Town Square Reference Group. And uh, Peter, uh, with this hospital being privatised and laid to waste, uh, it must have fired a few people up. And uh, I note on your um, kyntonhub.org website that uh, you've got a rebooting democracy uh, type uh, uh, philosophy behind what's going on and uh, raising the awareness of uh, of solid citizens getting involved again in democratic processes. And uh, how has the everyday person taken that line of thinking in this era of uh, remote control viewing? I think what's happening is that a lot of people now are just going along with the flow, or they had been going along with the flow and saying, well, we can't do anything about this. The government have told us this is happening. The council have told us this is happening. But there is now definitely a groundswell to say that, hang on a minute, the community don't want this. The community will have a say and the community wants a particular um, idea followed through. And if, if we don't stand up against some of the decisions that are made, that's exactly what we get. We get what we're told is good for us, not what we want or not what we think we should have. So there's, there's a lot of very, very passionate people in Kyneton. They have seen what's happened to the hospital and they don't like that and they want to be involved and they want to get that school for our use. Mm. Okay, and to uh, finish off, you've had uh, residents signing the petition, uh, Democracy in Action. I think I heard that uh, Matthew Guy tabled the petition to uh, state parliament. So here in an election year, it seems like uh, the issue is hotting up. And uh, 
I just, uh, what are you thinking is is next in the political process? Uh, how did Labor react to uh, that uh, tabling and, and some at least uh, recognition of the issue from the opposition party? We, we haven't really had uh, the, the local member of the Labor Party come out. I think at this stage he is waiting for the consultation process with the council to be finalised which in, in one way is, is quite fair enough, but we've had the Liberal Party and the Greens absolutely categorically come on board and say that if that their view is the site will never be sold, it will always stay in state government control and that they would like to see a community-managed operation. The Labor Party haven't at this stage. They're, they're now shying away from a total sale of the site but um, I'm sort of wondering that if someone came along with $10 million in their pocket, that that can change anyone's mind. We, we don't want that, happen, that to happen, and we want to make sure that the community are right behind us and that we save this school for the community. Well, Peter Henderson from the Kyneton Town Square Reference Group. Uh, fantastic to have you on the show and uh, good luck uh, activating uh, our solid citizens and defending our public land. It can't be replaced once it's sold. Absolutely. And thanks very much, Carl. Listeners, welcome back to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And yes, you've got to wonder how much money does Premier Daniel Andrews need if they're marking down this uh, Kyneton Primary School as yet another site to sell off. It seems uh, like uh, the state government has an aim of uh, earning some $150, $160 million a year through public land sales. That's what uh, they took in in uh, 2016. And the question is, is it a good time for the government to be selling this public land as auction clearance rates drop down to around 61.74% on the weekend? But uh, remember, oh, way back in 2009-10, I used to write about these ghost auctions. And they'd say, look, there's going to be 1,300 auctions uh, listed this weekend and then you look at the stats next week and there'd only be a thousand auctions but uh, uh, of course they did their stats based on the 1000 auction number rather than the 1300 and if that 300 had been included in the uh, auction clearance rates then instead of 61 percent for example this week uh, you know it'd be around about 48 uh, percent and what would that do to market sentiment and in our recent Victorian state budget uh, submission, we raised the issue that uh, just like the uh, faulty vacancy statistics we've exposed over the years, the auction clearance rates should also be collated and produced by a third party. There's just too much self-interest within the real estate sector. There's a upward bias in terms of real estate agents uh, submitting their auction results. I dare say they are much more motivated to uh, submit their results uh, when they do sell than when they don't. So perhaps that's why there's uh, often three to 400 uh, ghost auctions that go on every weekend that uh, we just never see the results for. But back to the big story, Daniel Andrews, how much money does he need? Uh, 
is it a good time to be selling, you know, with this real estate cycle starting to slow down, it could well mean that like that public hospital, that uh, this prime location in the centre of a idyllic uh, rural community is left uh, idle for at least another four or five years. What could be done in the meantime to ensure that the community could use it to good use? We heard there about the Lions Club having nowhere to meet. There are probably many other groups like that in the area and uh, there needs to be faster turnaround on this public land so that community groups can access it, put it to good use and at least uh, uh, clean the cobwebs uh, away from these uh, large buildings that often are left uh, vacant for a long, long time. Certainly that's what groups like uh, Reclaim Australia have uh, been so good at is uh, knocking on the landlord's door saying, look, here's uh, our pro forma lease agreement. We'll pay you a peppercorn rent if uh, we can use the operations over the next year. We understand uh, by signing this document that uh, we, we will be uh, willing to move with uh, short notices to vacate if a development opportunity does come ahead. So Marcus Westbury and team there uh, continue to work with communities around the nation to uh, improve the ability of uh, everyday people to use vacant land and that's something that we certainly support and in terms of other tools that uh, you may be able to utilise if you're someone involved in a community campaign concerned about public land sales, well the New Economics Foundation has uh, has a quite a good document to assist community groups. Uh, it's, it's mainly around uh, community-led housing, but it's called How to Make the Case for Community-Led Housing on Public Land. And whilst it's UK-based, there's a lot of thought-provoking lines in that document that helps uh, groups develop their campaign strategies so that along the way they can target the government to remember the public interest, to remember the fact that uh, they are more important than these developers who uh, spend thousands of dollars in campaign contributions trying to buy public policy. Yes, that is what rent-seeking is all about. That's what we are primarily concerned about here on The Renegade Economist. One of those topics that's in this document by the UK's New Economics Foundation is called an asset lock. And I hadn't heard that term before, but... They call it a community asset lock, and this places a legal restriction on assets like public land and ensures that the value of this asset cannot be used for private benefit. Asset locks prevent land being sold on for private profit, so broader forms of social and economic value will become more significant. So there's one little campaign tool uh, the Kyneton Town Square Renewal Group could uh, use Another angle is uh, to push for an element of value capture to be incorporated in any possible rezoning there so that uh, if the government does sell the land, then the profit motive is seriously reduced by ensuring that, say, some 25% of any economic rents, any uh, profits due to the rezoning of that land go towards funding social housing in that community. It's another sort of shot across the bow to deter 
private development of public land. A third one, it's not in this document from what I've seen, but is the use it or lose it clause. Like that former public hospital site that's been sitting vacant for some eight years, uh, at this point in the real estate cycle, it's highly likely that if this uh, primary school site was sold, it would be uh, held out of the market for probably another decade, waiting for uh, land prices to continue escalating further upwards. And uh, this investor may well just flip that property. Well, a use-it-or-lose-it clause would give the new buyer only 24 months to uh, submit their planning applications and uh, get on with the job of uh, developing that site. But ultimately, uh, holding any sites uh, within the public uh, spectrum is just so important when we remember that uh, there is only one corner block right in the centre of your city. And uh, that is just so precious when you think about location, location, Uh, Real estate interests uh, dream of those opportunities, but uh, in economic theory, it's all but ignored the advantage that anyone who owned that site would have over someone living on the outskirts of town near the tip. So uh, that's where a fairer land tax system comes into place to equalise the opportunities between those who own the best land and those who don't. And when you do tax away those profits the drive for continual housing developments starts to return back to trend levels rather than these speculative pursuits that so often blow the world economy up about uh, once every seven to nine years and uh, double that about every 18 years there's a super duper blow up so uh, yeah as we watch what's happening with our uh, Housing statistics at the moment uh, it continues to keep us on the edge of our seat. Will the policymakers come out with another mechanism to keep this housing bubble continuing onwards and upwards? Or will there be some sort of correction so that uh, millennials have some hope of being able to buy a house to uh, claim their place in this property-owning democracy? But I hear you ask, is that a good thing? Do we really want a property-owning democracy? I know 3CR listeners, many anarchists out there like this this slogan, uh, property is theft. Libertarians on the right say taxation is theft. Well, we Georgists, we sit somewhere in the middle and we say, look, privatised rent is a theft. The community, if no one lived in Kyneton, if no one lived in Melbourne, the value of the land would plummet. Soon as everyone moved back again, up would go the land values. So who does really create the worth of the earth? It's we the people. And then related to that, uh, you have to ask, uh, why should we be taxed for working? Australian land values continue to increase And we believe that is the natural source of government revenue. Unfortunately, through decades of privatisations, decades of uh, rent seekers influencing public policy so that we have pincered policy outcomes, 
the rightful role of public policy has been greatly diminished so that uh, today in Victoria we have the worst possible tax available, stamp duties, delivering government uh, their, their highest revenue source as uh, per capita's senior economist Warwick Smith uh, wrote today in uh, on medium.com. Well, that is uh, a big problem that uh, for 70 cents of every $1 raised, uh, it damages the economy. And Warwick rightly said, look, if we were to raise revenues via a land tax, it's, an, it's a, a negative excess burden, which basically means that uh, it adds to the economy. There's no burden. It's actually a bonus of some 8 to 10%. Every other tax costs the economy in terms of economic growth. And my article on medium.com uh, published yesterday was about the hope of economic growth and how holding out this uh, carrot that uh, economic growth is going to make life better for us all. There'll be more employment, wages will go up, all that sort of thing. Well, all it is is really a diversion plan so that the wealthy can sit back and not have to make any sacrifices. And you'll see uh, this graph that came from the Trickle Up Economics report we launched a few weeks ago when Polly Cleveland was in town that the value of Australia's GDP available for the productive sector, labour and capital, has plummeted. Uh, 1911 we went back to and found that 89% of GDP was available for labour and capital back then. But over time that has uh, dramatically fallen. So if you jump from 1910 it was actually through to 1980, the so-called start of uh, the neoliberal era, Uh, the growth in land prices and our tax system had taken another 35% of GDP away from labour and capital. Then looking at Australia's so-called great economic miracle from 1994 onwards till today, record economic growth has failed to deliver. In 94, land rents and taxes accounted for 37.5% of GDP, with just 62.5% left for the productive sector. Capital gains tax in 99, another big landmark moment in Australia's economy. Only 57% of the nation's wealth remained on the table for workers and business. Today, there's just 50.5%, and on current projections, that won't be long until the real estate sector, the land prices we pay plus this poorly directed taxation system that really is chasing its tail as uh, people have no time anymore to look after themselves, to get to know their neighbours, so perhaps they could uh, look after their kids every now and again, uh, to grow their own food, all these sort of things you can do when you have access to land and uh, are are well-connected in your community. Well, no one's got time to do that much anymore, so we have to spend, spend, spend. And uh, we have uh, a welfare system that uh, m- many people are reliant on now to, uh, to pay their mortgages. So this spiral of welfare reliance is triggered by the weight of ever higher land prices and poorly directed taxation. So if we did improve the way we were taxed, government wouldn't be under this pressure to sell so much public land. When you look at uh, this classical components of GDP graph from the Trickle-Up Economics Report, 
you'll see that by taking this bird's eye view, having an overview of uh, the economy, it, it simplifies the uh, dozens and dozens of Excel spreadsheets you need to look through for the national accounts and gives you a uh, clearer, more streamlined view of exactly who's earning what in according to the the big three factors of production. That is labour plus capital working on land produce the output and it's uh, the split between those three after taxation takes away some of that GDP that is of great concern and when you look at the graph it looks like a, a crocodile eating away at what labour and capital the traditional foes fight over and that's always been the plan to have businesses and workers fighting complaining at each other whilst uh, the fat cat aristocrats who own all the land sit back and take it easy all right my name's carl fitzgerald thanks so much for joining us here on 3cr's renegade economist check out the show notes at earthsharing.org.au love to uh, see a few more comments on there love to uh, hear from you on twitter at earthsharing we also have uh, plenty of work over at prosper.org.au.